Turn with me this morning in the book of Philippians. And I'm going to just read four verses from chapter four, the last four verses. Philippians chapter four. If you found the place, we'll read from verse 20. Remember this doxology that we thought about last week. Philippians chapter 4 verse 20. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Salute every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren which are with me greet you. All the saints salute you. Chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Amen. We trust and pray God will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures amongst us today. Now my text this morning is taken from Philippians chapter 4. Verses 21 and 22. Let's look at the text together. Let's read it together. Salute every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren which are with me greet you. All the saints salute you. Chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. Now that's my text today. Philippians 4 verses 21 and 22. And my theme today is this. Remember that there were saints in Caesar's palace. You see, Philippians 4, verses 21 and 22, form part of the ending of Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. And when I read over this ending and began to think, I thought to myself, well, there's not really much there for me to preach on. I was just thinking, well, Paul is closing off his letter, and it's a usual form of greeting. It's a, it's a kind of saying goodbye, and um, maybe even at the end of a letter, we would include the words, yours in Christ Jesus. And um, then I looked more closely, and I said to the Lord to help me to understand this. And as I looked closely and examined the words, I would discovered that there's a wonderful piece of news here tucked away at the very end of the letter, something that we have not known before, which is very characteristic of Paul. And the news was this, that there were saints in Caesar's palace. Look at verse 23, or, or 22. All the saints salute you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. Now you see, all of these saints together in Rome, they were sending greetings. They wanted to show respect. They wanted to have their love and their prayers to all the saints that were at Philippi 
acknowledged. So all the saints that were in Rome, chiefly they who lived in Caesar's palace, they were sending their love and their prayers and respect and regard for all the saints that were at, at Philippi. And Paul's final few words includes a greeting from all the saints in Rome to all the saints that are in Philippi. And some of those saints, well, this is where they lived. They lived in Caesar's palace. Now, young people, the Caesar referred to is Nero. Caesar, remember, is the emperor of the Roman Empire. And it's important that you understand that. You see, we read in the Bible, in Luke 2 and 1, of Caesar Augustus. He was the one in charge of the whole Roman Empire in the days of the birth of the Lord Jesus. Luke chapter 3, verse 1, it mentions another Caesar called Tiberius Caesar. He reigned from 14 to 37 A.D., He was followed by another man called Claudius Caesar. He's mentioned in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 11, verse 28, and chapter 18, verse 2. It was this Claudius Caesar that ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. And then after him, there was another Caesar. And then the fifth Caesar to rule the Roman Empire was this man called Nero. And Nero was the emperor of the Roman emperor when Paul was put into prison at Rome. And this was the man that had eventually had Paul beheaded. He was a very cruel, ungodly man. Did you know that he had his mother murdered? Imagine a son murdering his mother. He also had two special advisors who were murdered simply to seize control of their assets their money, and their property. This man's private life was a scandal. He indulged in the base appetites of every evil form imaginable. And if you think of adultery, and you think of sodomy, and you think of drunkenness, and all kinds of immorality, this man, Nero, He was guilty of it. This man had no love for true Bible-believing Christians. This man had no love for the followers of the Lord Jesus. He had no love for Christ or his people. Do you know that in AD 64, Rome went in fire? It's widely acknowledged and believed that Nero himself started the fire... But in order to scapegoat himself, he blamed the Christians. And thousands were murdered in Rome at that time. Do you know what he did? He sewed some of the women into the skins of animals and they were thrown to wild beasts and to dogs. Thousands were nailed to the cross. And at night time, they were set alight merely to light up his garden. And yet here we read, tucked away in the end of Paul's letter, mention in this greeting, all the saints salute you, the brethren that are with me, they they want to send their greetings to, but also chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. 
It's a reference to Nero's palace. Doesn't that surprise you? Well, you know what? It surprised me when I read it. And whenever I read it, this thought jumped out to me. David, remember that there were saints in Caesar's palace. And if God has saints in such a dark, difficult place, in such a hostile environment, then we who live in a sinful, wicked world in our day and generation, then we can learn from them. I've asked myself a few questions. Who were they? How did they come to personal faith in Jesus Christ? How could they live and survive in such a hostile environment? What were they like? And you know our text, if you look at it very carefully, it helps us to get the answers. Look at our text this morning. Philippians chapter 4, verses 21 and 22. I want you to think of the description here of God's people in Caesar's palace. It says, salute every saint in Christ Jesus. Now, now do you see that? Salute every saint in Christ Jesus. Notice the word saint here. Okay? It's a reference to a Christian. Every true child of God. We could read it that way. Salute every Christian in Christ Jesus. You see, what is a Christian? If we ask that question today, well, people would say, well, it's someone who's a non-Jew, a non-Muslim, a non-Hindu, someone who's an atheist. The answer would be no to that. Maybe someone would say, well, it's one who gives mental assent to Christian teaching, who, who believes that there's a God and a Bible and Jesus Christ. Well, that would only be part of the answer. Um, someone would say, well, a Christian is someone who's good living, someone who's religious. And we'd have to say, well, that's, that's not really the answer either. You see, a true Christian, if you look at your Bible this morning, is one who is described as being a saint in Christ Jesus. The Greek word saint is hagios, and it means a holy one, a person set apart by God for a holy purpose. A Christian is a saint, one who is set apart, one who is separated unto God for a holy purpose. And the word saint, of course, I'm well aware, is misused and misunderstood today in the uh, thinking of Roman Catholicism. A saint is a group of special people who are now dead that are acting as intermediaries or intercessors for others on earth. The apostles, for example. Certain individuals who have been beatified and canonized by the Pope. And of course in Northern Ireland here we have got saints known as St. Bridget and St. Bernadette and St. Teresa. And these individuals are venerated in the mind of Roman Catholic adherents. These saints are prayed to. Their names are invoked in a time of crisis. And the adherents believe and expect help to come via these saints. But I want to tell you, that's not the teaching of the Bible. The Bible says, listen to it very carefully, for there's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Not many mediators, not even two, 
but just one. There's no such thing as being declared a saint after you're dead that you can receive prayers from other individuals who are living and act as an intermediary to get those prayers answered and dispense help to those individuals on earth. I want to tell you there's no such thing as even thinking about a a super outstanding individual whom you would describe as a, as a saint. Well, you wouldn't be calling me Saint David. Sure you wouldn't, because I'm not a, a super outstanding individual. So, so the word saint is misused and it's misunderstood. But it's not a group of special people who have been made a saint after they're dead. It's not even a reference to a super outstanding individual who does wonderful things in time. Could I tell you this morning very lovingly, every true born-again believer is a saint. And you cannot be a true Christian and not be a saint. There was a time when I was without Jesus Christ, Ephesians 2 and 12, that at that time you were without Christ, speaking about our past life. And then there was a time when I was brought into Christ, into a saving relationship with Christ, into union with him. As it says there in the book of Ephesians, but now in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. You see, no person is born a saint. We're actually born in sin and shaped in iniquity, Psalm 51 verse 5. We're born sinners by nature and practice. There's nothing saintly about us. We're born dead to God in trespasses and sin. We're born with a heart that loves sin. That's a fountain of all iniquity. Jeremiah said the heart is deceitful and above all things desperately wicked. We're born with our back to God and our face to hell. We're born spiritually and morally lost. We're born without God, without Christ, without hope in the world. And then in providence, God comes and through the gospel, he, he works in the basis of free grace. And then God saves us. God sanctifies us. God sets us apart for a holy use. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things have passed away and all things have become new. God, by his free grace, calls us into union with Jesus Christ. And God not only calls us, but cleanses us, changes us, cares for us, strengthens us, controls us in Christ. And the key is in Christ Jesus. We all start the same way, you know. We're brought into Christ. We're united to him by faith through grace. I, I want you to understand this morning what a saint is. It, someone who has been brought into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Brought into a saving union with him. And in Christ, we live for Christ. And we have a new principle of holiness that's born within us. 
We have a new desire, a new aim, a new goal. We have a different view of sin now, a different view of God, of Jesus Christ, of heaven and hell and the Bible. We, we now want to live to please heaven. There's a, a sanctifying work going on in our heart and life. Oh, we're not perfect. We'll never be sinlessly perfect this side of eternity, but, but we now hate sin. Sin grieves us. We, we turn from our sin. We have a desire for holiness. We, we confess, well, well, God, I'm not what I once was. We're now living for the Lord. We put the Lord first in our life. We, we want to live a life of entire consecration and separation unto the Lord. Let's remember this morning who we are. Here's the description of God's people. The description of a true believer. Salute every saint in Christ Jesus. And let's remember it all depends on him. Without Christ you're not a true Christian. But in Christ, you are a true Christian. Every Christian's a saint. And in Christ, you have a desire to live a holy life unto the Lord. Now, I want to ask this morning, does it describe you? Are you in Christ? Was there a time when you realized you're without Christ? Have you admitted your sin? How you hate it and now loathe it and desire to turn from it and you've fled to Christ and you've asked Christ to become your Lord and Savior. And now because you're in Christ, you're living for Christ and you have a desire for holiness and you have a love for the Lord that wasn't there before. And you want to put the Lord first in your life. See, that's the description of God's people. And I ask again, very lovingly this morning, is that a description of you? Notice secondly in our text The disposition of God's people Not only the description of God's people in Caesar's palace But the disposition of God's people in Caesar's palace If you read this text Verses 21-22 very carefully You'll discover There's a very very rich word of endearment here Look at the word salute Salute every saint in Christ Jesus The brethren which are with me greet you. All the saints salute you. You see, there's a very real expression here of a strong bond of Christian love and fellowship. God's people who are living in Caesar's palace, these saints in Rome, they're characterized by their love to God. And their love to God reaches out in love to all others who are also saints in Christ Jesus. The word salute means to greet. The word brethren speaks of those belonging to a family. All the saints, it's inclusive. Chiefly, that means primarily. They of Caesar's household. The reference here to the greeting from all the saints in Rome to all the saints in Philippi. There's no party spirit here. There's no exceptions. There's no distraction here. There's a real sense of belonging among them. 
There's a real bond here. You remember the Apostles' Creed, which we don't often refer to, but we should. I believe in the communion of saints. A sense of family. A sense of fellowship. You see, let's remember this this morning. There's only one true church of Jesus Christ in the world. Yes, there's different denominations. And different congregations with little different emphasis on one thing and another. But there's only one true church of Jesus Christ in the whole of the world. And the Bible teaches that we're actually all one in Christ Jesus. That's the key. In Christ Jesus. All the saints are in union with the body of Christ. And the body of Christ is not merely an organization. It is a a, a spiritual organism. We're not talking about a false ecumenism. I'm talking about a true ecumenism. All one in Christ Jesus. In the church at Philippi, there was a lack of unity, remember? There was a lack of harmony. There had been some sort of fallout. But Paul had to urge them there, remember, to be of the same mind in the Lord. And we, of course, would never say that all religions in the world are the same. Because they're not. All religions don't worship the same God in in different ways, for they don't. Turn over there this morning to a passage that I've been thinking about and running through my mind all week in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And over there in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and the verse 14, we read these words. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, For what fellowship of righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord of Christ with Belial? Or what part of he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, which means in light of this, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing, and I'll receive you. And I'll be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. You see, there's a false ecumenism today, a false fellowship, one that is actually sinful in the sight of God. One, of course, that we must separate from. As he says here, For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? You see, he was doing a contrast here. And and he was saying, this is a false fellowship. and, and, And the saints must separate from But I want to tell you there's a true fellowship that is spiritual. A true fellowship that's rooted in the bonds of the Christian family. A a true fellowship that's rooted in the bond of true Christian unity. 
and a spirit of love. This is more than just acknowledging one another. This is more than just saying hi or hello. This is a real sense of belonging. This is a real bond. All the saints in Caesar's palace wanted to help one another. They prayed for one another. They preferred one another. They had a genuine concern for one another. That they, they decided that they would do no harm to one another. They were constantly thinking of one another. They were interested in one another. You see, this is a bond of Christian fellowship that's rooted in the bond of being in the Christian family, brothers and sisters in Christ. Could I suggest this morning I say this lovingly. Have we not in the free Presbyterian church lost the wonder of being members of the one Christian family and lost the wonder of the bond of Christian fellowship? Do we really belong to one another? Do we see ourselves as those who are united in Christ? And therefore, because I'm in Christ, I'm also united to everyone else who is in Christ. They're my brothers and sisters. We have the same Father, the same Savior. We're washed in the same blood. We're born of the same Spirit. We're all just adopted children. And it doesn't matter if one's rich or poor, or one's educated, or one's a little bit less educated, or one's high-born or low-born. You see, I believe that these believers made the effort to say to Paul as he was writing his letter, please include us. He doesn't mention their names. He groups them together. And what does he say? All the saints salute you. Chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. And when they sent their greetings, they were sending their respect, their love, their feeling, their genuine concern, one for another. And this took drive and desire and determination, and they made the effort. And I believe we need to do the same. The Bible says if you bite and devour one another. And you think of the biting and devouring that's going on in the church at this time. Remember what we read in the book of Corinthians there. Paul says, For I fear lest when I come, I shall not find you such as I would, and that I shall be found unto you such as you would not, lest there be debates, envyings, wrath, strifes, backbitings, whisperings, swellings, tumults, and lest when I come again my God will humble me among you, and I shall bewail many, which have sinned already and have not repented of the uncleanness and fornication and lasciviousness which they have committed. You see, that was a problem in Corinth in the first century. And it could be a problem today. And we've got to face that and, and realize that. And how many claim to be in Christ and, and, and say, I'm a Christian. And yet they have no love for those who are in union also with Jesus Christ. They have no love for one another. They, they wouldn't help one another. They don't pray for one another. They don't prefer one another. They're not interested in each other. Remember Jesus said, 
By this shall all men know you're my disciples if you have what? Love. One for another. Love covers a multitude of sins. That's the disposition of God's people in Caesar's palace. Not only the description, saints in Christ Jesus, but here was their disposition. I want to close with one final thought. The determination of God's people in Caesar's palace. If you look at the text there, verse 22, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household, I believe that the determination among the saints was to live for Jesus Christ in that hostile environment. In other words, they who were saved by the grace of God and who were now in a saving relationship with Christ and, and separated under the gospel and, and this desire for holy living, they wanted to shine for Christ in the very place where God had put them. We'll ask the question this morning, who were these saints? Could I suggest they were slaves? Could I suggest that some of them might have been soldiers? They were part of Caesar's household. That means that they were staff in the palace. They had been put to work there. The house of imperial Rome. I'm not even going to say they were employed. Because they might have got a bed and they might have got food. But I don't think they got any wages. I'm sure the soldiers were probably paid for their duties. But the slaves wouldn't have been. They'd have been thankful that they were just alive. And I believe that many of them were converted under Paul's ministry. And I've just discovered um, that archaeologists have found some tombs that have been excavated uh, under the great city of Rome. And in those uh, tombs, they, they found a list of names. And the list of names actually corresponds to the names mentioned by Paul in Romans 16. Now, it's not interesting. Is that a coincidence? The list is the same. The names are identical with a few added job descriptions. I believe they probably were the very same people. These were the saints who wanted to be remembered to the believers at Philippi by Paul. And many of them were in Caesar's palace. Not only who were they, but let's think of the way that they would have got saved. I believe that they got saved because there was a man Sent in the providence of God. Nero, remember, hated Christians. Many of them were set alight for, as human torches for sport. Remember Paul's in prison. He's there. He tells them. If you look at Philipp Philippians chapter 1 and verse 12. Remember what he says there. The Philipp Philippians were concerned about Paul in prison. He says, but I would you understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather for the furtherance of the gospel. Look, look, look at verse 13. So that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace. That's Caesar's household. And in all other places. 
You see, the Lord made a way even when many thought there is no way to get the message into Caesar's palace. The soldiers who were chained to Paul 24-7, the slaves that would have brought him food, and maybe things that were sent by others into the prison. Surely we could marvel at God's providence. God put Peter in prison because there were souls to reach in Caesar's palace with the gospel. Now let me apply that. You see, God has placed you and me here providentially. God has put you in your office or in your factory or in your school. And you're a Christian. You're saved. And you're separated under the gospel. And you want to shine in that place for the honor and glory of Christ. And God has put you there because there's others who need to hear the gospel. Not only a man sent in the providence of God, but a man with a passion from God. Paul wasn't silent in prison. Remember he had already asked for boldness, the church at Ephesus, in Ephesians 6 and 18. And here he is with such a burden for the lost and such a love for souls and it trumps his love for other things and, and he has a burden that he's going to speak a word in season to all he'd meet. His burden doesn't evaporate when he's in prison. His love of the Lord is in his heart and he's not going to hide his light. He's going to let his light shine. Caesar's palace is a dark place, a difficult place, a hostile environment. But he's going to let his light shine. And his light shine there. He's a man who believes in the word of God. Romans 10 and 17. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The word of God wasn't bound. He believes in the power of the word of the gospel. And I believe that's the way. That the gospel came to these saints in Caesar's palace. A man in the providence of God with a passion who believed in the power of the word of God and who shared his testimony with soldiers. And, and as he says here in chapter 1, verse 13, so that my bonds, my, my imprisonment, my chains in Christ are, are manifest. That means made known. The, the light is shining in all the palace. I want you to think of this in closing. Saints in Caesar's palace. What did that mean? I have to tell you, I didn't expect to find a saint in Caesar's palace. But I believe that these saints were obedient to the Lord. I believe it was a huge challenge for them. Could you think of a slave being ordered to serve the table? Caesar and he has to pour wine into his cup these saints that are observing seeing and knowing about acts of adultery acts of sodomy other profane corrupt things going on this man hates Christians and to be a Christian well that's difficult that's a huge challenge but these believers thought and knew they were there to serve. And maybe you feel exactly the same thing. It's not easy for me to be a, a believer in my workplace. If you knew what goes on in my office, Mr. McLaughlin. If you knew what goes on in my school. 
You think of that rugby player, I just forget his name, who was sacked for quoting Bible verses. I believe one of them was John 3 and 16. We live in a crooked, perverse world. We live in a, 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 this present evil world. These are perilous times. We, we face many challenges. And yet realize that we're here for a purpose, and part of that purpose is to be obedient unto the Lord. Was there not a Joseph in Pharaoh's house sent there providentially to save Israel? Was there not an Obadiah in Ahab's palace to feed the Lord's prophets in a day of apostasy? Was there not a Nehemiah in the house of King Artaxes, the, the Persian king? Because God had him there so that he eventually could be brought back and help to build the walls of Jerusalem. Why such a place, Lord? Well, I put you here to serve me. I put you here to be a, a witness for me. Lord, this is a hard place for me to live. It's dark, it's difficult. Well, well now you're saved and sanctified. Shine for Christ. Let, let your light shine. We should pray. Lord, use me. Help me to let my light shine. Lord, keep me sensitive to sin. Lord, help me to be a light in a dark place. And you think of their opportunity in the Lord. They wanted to be known there were saints in Caesar's palace. So along with Paul, they agreed that this word of greeting would be sent out. And they're showing respect to the church of Philippi. They're showing true genuine care and concern from their heart. They're not bitter. They're not critical. They're compassionate. They've got care and concern for other saints. And they wanted to be known that there are those who are living and shining for the Lord, even in Caesar's palace. Isn't that tremendous? That's the determination of God's people. And I would say this morning, if you're saved, and you've been set apart by the Lord, then you face the challenge in a hostile environment, in a dark world, in a difficult day, that you in your corner, that you're going to shine for Jesus Christ. You're going to live for him. And you'll display love and care and concern and compassion for all the other saints in the house of God. I have prayed that the Lord would grant me that same grace and that same help as I live out my Christian life at this time.